Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Hola, citizens, and welcome to Episode 2 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am your host, Eric Fritschus, a.k.a. Emeritus. This week's podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Writers' latest collection of material that has won our annual writing contest, Seeking the Swan. This collection features fiction, essays, poetry, plays, children's books, and more by such West Virginia literary figures as Laura Tracy Bentley, Fran Simone, Cheryl Denise, John Mugas, Robert Flanagan, Lynn Widmeyer, and many more. Seeking the Swan is available for $16 plus shipping at our website. It can also be found at fine bookstores around the state like Taylor Books in Charleston, The Open Book in Lewisburg, and Tamarack in Beckley, among others. It makes a great Mother's Day present, and studies have shown that Seeking the Swan increases one's appreciation for Appalachian writing and prevents crabgrass. Book may not actually prevent crabgrass. Buy one for someone you love today. Our guest on the podcast this week is Susan Reinhardt. She's an award-winning humor columnist with the Asheville Citizen Times. In describing her, the publication Booklist says she's like a modern-day Southern fried Irma Bombeck or Dave Barry. In addition to her humor writing duties, she's an active public speaker and a mother of two. She's also the author of three collections of humor, one called Not Tonight, Honey, Wait Until I'm a Size 6, one called Don't Sleep with a Bubba Unless Your Eggs Are in Wheelchairs, and her latest book is called Dishing with the Kitchen Virgin, a collection of food-based tales of humor with some real recipes thrown in designed to help any bad cook produce something edible in the kitchen. Susan's also a podcaster with a weekly show called Susan Uncensored, based out of the Asheville Citizen Times website. This summer, Susan will serve as a workshop presenter, banquet keynote speaker, and Friday night stand-up comedian at our summer conference. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me here. I understand you just returned from the Masters Tournament, which you, you talk about in your most recent column. How was that? Well, you know, the only reason, it sounds real snooty when you tell people, I went to the Masters, but the only reason, Eric, that we get tickets is because when I was a little girl, you can tell by my accent, that we lived a considerable amount of time in Georgia. And one of the towns was near Augusta where they have the Masters. And my dad got on the list for tickets back in the 60s when nobody was even concerned about the Masters. You know, it was all about the U.S. Open and the other tournaments. So he's been on the list for 40-something years, and we get four days of um, essentially free tickets. So we go on Sunday, and this time I, I just kept the binoculars on the whole Tiger Woods Phil Mickelson. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get to see much of the guys that are my age with the pot bellies and the, the two that were in the playoff, Perry and Cabrera, mm-hmm. because the crowds were so thick. And at that point, I thought, gosh, it'd be better to watch this at home. At least you were able to turn it into a column for your for your humor column. Well, I, some some days when you're a, <clears throat> I'm a newly single mother, and after 18 years of marriage, and um went through a pretty dark depression, and only humor and reading humor writers is what brought me out of it. But um, 
So the the daily life is is generally what I write about that and pop, some pop culture, you know, some cheesy TV shows like American Idol. I'm in love with that guy Adam Lambert. He's gay, but I'm in love with him anyway. So I'll be tuning into that and other programs that kind of get you out of the doldrums. What was your journey toward becoming a humor columnist? I, you know what? It's a it's a strange one. Um, in junior high school, when people start becoming mean. I had these huge ears, these huge buck teeth from playing a clarinet. I swear I got buck teeth from from that mouthpiece of the clarinet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just being pimply and tall and gangly, I was made fun of a lot. And so we had this attic that had a little door, and I would go and I would write stories. As a middle school child, I would write stories in the attic. And then my dad said, "You'll you'll never get paid as a writer. You've got to pick another career. So he told me, he goes, and you may never get a husband either as much as you would like to eat. And um, I said, well, what do I do? He goes, you got to become a nurse. So I went I went to nursing school, Eric, and I worked in hospitals and gave more enemas than I ever want to remember. So I, I decided when I went and took the blood pressure of one patient and couldn't get a heartbeat, I decided I better switch careers. So um, I went into journalism. Once I made the switch and was able to get into journalism school, um, I've been writing for different newspapers. My first job was for the Myrtle Beach Sun News. And have you heard of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? Oh, certainly. I've been there quite a few times. Uh huh. The Redneck Riviera, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, the, the paper had a rule. All of us had to do the weather, and we had to do obits. This was back in the eighties, but they had a rule that said. We could never say storms were coming in unless it was a hurricane. We had to always put partly cloudy with a chance of thunderstorms because if we put that it was going to rain all week, all the tourists would leave. So uh. that, that was some bad journalism. <clears throat> and then I quit that job and moved to the Virgin Islands for a little while and then ran out of money and ended up in Asheville, North Carolina. How long have you been with the Citizen Times? Let's see. I cut two teeth there, turned into a half half old lady 22 years maybe yeah 22 years first started out covering i call it chicken dinner news you know when you go to a church and you're covering their pancake supper fundraiser or their spaghetti dinner so that that's how i started and one of my first assignments was to go rafting down this huge set of rapids with 21 prisoners that was a good one like prisoners from a local local yeah. prison. Real prisoners, Eric. Real criminals. And do you do you know what is so odd about it? If they had more manners than my own children. Now what does that say? You know, there were guns in the raft with us, so they had to be nice. No Don't no want. wild escape stories or No, nobody tried to jump out. Uh uh-uh. uh. I wanted to jump out, believe me, but I stuck it out. So it's been it's just been twenty two years of um fun and craziness. I mean, these strange things always seem to happen to me. It's like I have the crazy magnet implanted in in my body somewhere and all the weirdos flock towards me. On Mondays, I I guess the people, when I'm working on Mondays, the people have had their medications and pain medicines refilled and they get kind of woozy and they call me up on Mondays with these crazy stories and this one man he kept calling and I think he was on Percocet or something or Xanax and he said you gotta come out to my house you have to drive to my house there's a gorilla 
a real gorilla sit sitting in my DeSoto trying to crank it. And he was serious. He was completely serious. And then another time another time a woman called and this is in one of my books, um, she kept calling me every single night. I don't know how she got my home phone number, but she said she lived in a single wide and she couldn't get any sleep and the police wouldn't help her but a and this is very politically incorrect, but she said a band of midget prostitutes were under, <laughs> were under her trailer living. And she, and then she had called the sheriff, but I said, oh, how many do you have under there? And she said, well, I have about 8 to 12, but they're small, but they make a lot of noise. I said, well, <laughs> how, how come the police didn't see them? And she said, because they ran around and hid behind the hot water heater. And I'm thinking, well... <laughs> Little bitty prostitutes hide behind one hot water heater. So I get all the crazy calls on Mondays. So my best columns come out on Thursdays because that's the window of time I have to write it. And then the Sunday columns are a little more tame because of the church crowd. Mm-hmm. I I try to do a little bit of human interest instead of humor on Sunday. And then I just completely let go on my um, Thursday column. It sounds like being a weirdness magnet is uh, very beneficial to your job. A lot, a lot of people ask me, you know, are your books just a collection of your columns? And to a degree, partly, but a column is about 500 to 600 words at our paper. And shrinking, as we know, newspapers are shrinking. And the stories in my books are, are more like three to 5,000 words. So you can take an idea and uh, just build on it, and that's what I've done with those three books that you mentioned. And the one you mentioned about um, Don't Sleep With Bubba, I would like to say that I did not name that book. <laughs> <laughs> I would never name a book that. I named, I actually named it Chimes from a Cracked Southern Bell, but they didn't like that. That's a better title, and I like I'm Don't not, Sleep With Bubba. But... I know, and the book doesn't even have any Bubbas in it. But in New York, I guess they thought, well, if we put Bubba on a book, it'll sell. But it, it um, the blue collar comedy tour must have gotten some pretty good reviews at that point. Some, they saw the numbers that were that thing was bringing in and said, hey, we got to slap one of these on there. Well, you're absolutely right. So I argued back and forth, back and forth with the publisher and my agent, and they still would not change the title. Well, now I like the title of your your latest one, "Dishing with the Kitchen Virgin," and kind of the the uh, the background on it. I have a a fondness for crazy recipes and the stories behind them, and I have my own uh, recipe website that has uh, oh, you lots do? of lots of strange. It started in college, so a lot of it's college recipes. I call that dude food in my book. Did you actually eat the stuff that you made up in oh, college? Oh yes, oh yes. It, it was. Oh all, my lord. We had our own test kitchen going on and. A lot of it was designed to be scary-looking food to ward off Moochie roommates. Oh, I, I got to go to your website. See, I, you know, while most most college kids are at keggers and frat parties, you're whipping up scary food, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, when you have five roommates living in a, a house, you got to kind of stake out your territory when it comes to grub. Oh, I know, and boys can eat so much, and um, and and I had a good time with this book, uh, because. At one point, that we have a cafeteria called the JNF. Every town has their own version of one of those blue-haired, you know, cafeterias where they say serve you a meat, serve you a vegetable, and they say it so fast you get all nervous because you can't make your selection fast enough. Okay, so they let me work behind the counter in a hairnet and an apron, 
and they said, you've got to stick to the script. You've got to say, serve you some potatoes, because I was doing the potatoes. I, want, I wanted to be the mashed potato girl. So I would plop the potatoes on the plate, but instead of just saying, care for some potatoes, I would give the poor old men who had recently probably been widowed, I would give them nutritional advice. <laughs> and they didn't want to hear it, you know, because they'd been hearing it from their wives harping on them for years. And I'd say, sir, we've got some nice broccoli florets that just came out of the steamer and they're full of antioxidants. And one old man, his teeth were jiggling around his um, gums. He said, shut up, woman. I heard that all my life and I'm getting what I want to eat today, including a piece of pie. <laughs> Good for so him. It was fun. It was fun, except for the hairnet. I understand you're you're reading some of the contest entries. You're our judge for the humor category this year. How, how's that going? Oh, I'm enjoying it so much. In fact, as, as soon as you and I finish talking, I'm going to go delve into some more. There, what's surprising me is the ones that aren't necessarily humor are just beautifully written stories. And um, you you all have some wonderful talent. A lot of talented writers in West Virginia. I'm glad I'm getting to read some of their work. Uh, they, they ought to join uh, this website called southernhumorist.com. Are you familiar with that? I am not, but I will now look into it. It's called Southern Humorist, and the humorist has an S on the end, .com. And they're looking for southern writers. And they'll post your website free and give you all kinds of free perks and publicity. We will add a link to that on our very website so folks can yeah, just it, click it's and a, go. It's a great resource, and you can put your website there so everybody can see your icky, icky recipes. This is our uh, second episode of our podcast, but you are a, kind of an old hat at podcasting, at least for the past couple of months. Uh, how did yours come about? I think it came about everything now is going online. Um, you've seen newspapers. You've seen how they have gone from pretty wide spreadsheets to just little slivers. It's like opening up a thick ribbon. That's about <laughs> how wide a newspaper is now. And Because so, everything is geared to the Internet. And they wanted some of the columnists and some of the, quote, personalities of the paper to do things um, on the Internet. And so mine was called Susan Uncensored because they had <laughs> They had to censor my columns. They had to edit and censor my columns so much because I would try to put some pretty PG-13 material in there. And um, finally they gave me a podcast. And, and they they have given lots of other writers podcasts as well on different subjects. Some do politics. I do crazy humor. And now they've turned it into video, video cast, which I absolutely hate. I went into journalism, print journalism, so I could stand behind the camera. Now I'm in front of the camera once a week and today I woke up and I had five huge zits and you don't you don't want to appear on camera when you have when you're a middle-aged woman and you've got wrinkles and zits all mixed together in one canvas of horror. Well, I've seen your picture on the website and the clips of you on the Today show. I don't think you have anything to worry about. Those are all retouched, honey. Somehow, I don't know. I didn't have any zits on the Today show, but I had plenty for today's video cast and you're also an active public speaker and an advocate for education about a couple of different issues, depression and eating disorders among them there. How did you come to that career path? I think it just kind of hit and it slammed into me. Um, actually, when I had my first child, I became impassioned in um, child abuse issues. It seemed that every story I read was a tragedy involving a small child, and so I 
I've been very active on the board of the Child Abuse Prevention Services, and I've been really active with hospice, and we're doing a hospice uh, cancer care. We're doing a very fun fun and different fundraiser this year where we're having a bunch of models who put on these locally designed brassieres and go down a runway and people bend on the bras. <laughs> and it, it's, called, it's called bras and broads. And, uh, so I'll be, I won't be wearing a, I mean, I'll be wearing a bra under my toes, but I won't, I won't be, I won't be one of the models going down the runway. I, I hope they don't make me do that. I'm only charging them $200, so they better not make me appear in a bra. They'll be sorry if they do. And then the other stuff, the eating disorders, I, I just am alarmed, Eric, at the number of little girls eight and nine years old who are already dieting, mm-hmm. who are already buying into the images that they see on their little TV shows and magazines. And so for about a year when I was in college, uh, one of my sorority sisters tried to teach me a typical, eat, uh, one of the more common eating disorders called bulimia she tried to teach me thank god it didn't last but for more than about a year but you know it it, at one point i had a race in heart and had to go to the emergency room and it can do some serious damage so occasionally i'll talk about that well susan i'm going to let you get back to looking over the the contest entries uh before we go Uh, you've you're doing a couple of workshops for us in addition to some stand-up comedy and keynote speaking at the conference this year what what can we expect from your workshops and your stand-up comedy um i hope you'll be i hope that the workshops will provide education and um at least some handout material so people can find that useful one of the workshops will be how to get published and get an agent and it took me 10 years to do it but i managed to do it and they're shorter cuts now and i'm going to give people the the shortcut version on how to do it Another workshop is building interesting characters, and goodness, I don't know how it is in West Virginia, but I don't really have to build the characters. Like I told you earlier, they, they call you on Monday. Me. They call me on Monday when they're on their Percocet high, <laughs> and then the stand-up comedy will be a little bit PG-13 rated if Carrie will allow it. But I'm going to try to be fun and entertaining, and hopefully people will have a good time. Well, if this uh, interview has been any example, they have no worries. It'll it'll be fun. <laughs> Well, maybe they're all going to cancel now. <laughs> they're going to call up and say, I'm sorry, I want a refund. Well, Susan, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to speak to us. I look forward to meeting you at the conference this year. Well, you too, Eric, and I appreciate the phone call. Susan's primary online presence can be found at SusanReinhardt.com. There you can read sample chapters from her books and see video of some media appearances she's made. We've put a link to her site on our own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast dot html. We also have links for Susan's podcast for southernhumorous.com, as well as that college recipe page we mentioned. Our Writers Conference, where Susan will be appearing, is June 12th through the 14th, 2009, at Cedar Lakes Conference Center in Ripley, West Virginia. You can find all the information about that at wvwriters.org. Next week on the show, we'll take a look at summer conferences past with our very own Rhonda Browning-White. She, too, is a presenter this year, but hasn't been to a conference since 2007. We'll talk about what she missed last year and the kind of thing you can expect this year, particularly if you've never been before. If you have comments or suggestions about the podcast, we can be reached by mail at wvwpodcast at gmail.com. 
Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, and was taken from the soundtrack to the audio adaptation of Lee Maynard's Crumb, found at Mountain Whispers Audiobooks. Pops' own music can be found at popswalker.com. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.